0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now. Here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome,
1: welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. We always say it and we always mean it. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have an interesting quote from a lady named Anna Mar, M-A-R. She's the chief marketing officer for a telecom company in Tokyo. She speaks English, French, Vietnamese, and Japanese, and she was born in Vietnam and grew up in Canada, just a little sidebar, and here is the quote, listen up. Enterprise architecture requires such a diversity of skills that EAs, that's enterprise architects, really need to be the renaissance men and women of IT. Well, wow, whoever thought about that? I found the quote and I thought it was interesting. Yes, the key words for our show today, EA, enterprise architecture. And we're going to be talking about enterprise architecture, designing success into your digital transformation. That's a buzz loaded title there. So let, let's talk a little bit more. Your digital Digital transformation, come on, your company must be transforming to digital. It's got to happen, you can't delay, it can't sit on the sidelines. Well, your digital transformation to be an intelligent enterprise, yes, that's the goal, requires a couple of things. You need clear objectives, you need to have clear designs, you need to have plans, that's a lot. You also need what we're calling E2E, that's end-to-end, more alphabet soup, flexibility, to revise them across your entire organization. How are you going to get there? Well, you know what I'm going to say, enterprise architecture. Why is it going to help you? Because it combines requirements, business, data, infrastructure, domains, all of these parts of your business to help align your IT and your business goals and concerns. It's a big topic. I have three experts on board today to help us figure it out. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And just so you know, this continues to be one of our most popular out of our 39 themed Game Changers Radio series here on the Business Channel. So to our listeners around the world, we appreciate your listenership, your audience ship, whatever you want to call it, whatever ship you're sailing. Let me tell you who our three guests are today and then we'll get started. First up, we are welcoming, I think all three are new, Rogan Morrison. Senior SAP Program Manager and Enterprise Architect at the Olayan Financing Company. And if you want to know more about his company, it's O-L-A-Y-A-N Financing Company. Also welcoming Jeff Giles, and he spells his last name G-I-L-E-S, but he tutored me in how to pronounce it, it's Giles, and he's the Principal Architect at Sandhill Consultants. Welcoming Jeff and rounding out the panel is Matt Creason, C R E A S O N. If you want to look him up, Product Manager for Enterprise Architecture Tooling. I've never seen that word in a title, Matt, at SAP. Welcome, gentlemen. So let's go around the table to Rogan Morrison. And Rogan has sent us a quote from Nelson Mandela. I hadn't heard this quote before. Nelson ro Mandela, 1918-2013, South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader, and philanthropist. He was the president of South Africa from 1994 to 99 he served 27 years in prison and he was released in 1990 here's the quote there is no passion to be found playing small in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living rogan morrison what a wonderful quote how are you today i'm um, very good and you Bunny? Well, thank you. You're very kind to ask. I'm very well. I like the quote from Nelson Mandela. We get some other quotes from him all the time. This is, I think, a pretty new one for us here on Game Changer. So please, Rogan, relate it to our topic, enterprise architecture on one side and no passion to be found playing small on the other. Tell me how they relate.
2: So from this quote, um, enterprise architecture has so many moving parts in an organization and in an ecosystem. So it's very difficult to find yourself playing with just the small elements of the enterprise architecture, but you need to look and spread your eyes across many things and all the different objects that could influence the organization in creating an opportunity that would build into, your, into yourself and into the organization that you're working with to create a digital transformation that's really successful and to create a, a sort of content that really can empower the organization going forward. So that's how the two kind of relate together.
1: Very interesting. Rogan, do you think this supports what I said in my opening that companies that think they can just sit on the sidelines and observe, you can't do that anymore? That would be, to me, a, my version of saying you can't play small. You can well, maybe we'll do this, maybe we won't, we'll think about it in a couple of years. Is that the playing small we might say, Mandela meant, in this context?
2: Uh, I definitely think so. I think uh, if, you, if you only aim for small things, you'll only get small things. So you really need to look for the big opportunities that abound and, and take a step up and, and go out for those as well. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have
1: you on the show. I always enjoy quotes from Nelson Mandela thinking he served 27 years in prison and how he passed the time and he said a lot of very life-changing things. This is something I say sometimes, Rogan, a quote like this, you want to mm. write it on a wall somewhere, or it's too long to crochet on a pillow, but it certainly would be a good one. Good lesson for, <laughs> for a young kid. Good lesson. All right, a lot of pillows on the back. Imagine that. You put the three or four pillows on the back of the couch, and one says, there is no passion, the next one says to be found playing small. The, third, the four, third one says in settling for a life that is less than, and the last one, the one you're capable of living. We need a four pillow crochet project here. Thank you very much Rogan, pleasure to have you. And now let's go a little bit around the table to Jeff Giles at Sandhill Consultants. And Jeff has sent us an interesting quote. Jeff, this is an interesting one because I looked it up and it's commonly thought that it was advice to sailors, but actually it's the opposite of advice to sailors. It was something else was said. Let me read the quote. Let me give the background after the quote, and then Jeff will have you explain it. The quote is, you cannot change the wind, but you can adjust the sails. This was actually spoken by Cora Lodencia Veronica Scott, known as Cora L.V. Hatch. She married four times, and she kept the name of Hatch. She was in a trance when she said this. She spoke it at the Cooper Institute in 1859. She was one of the best-known mediums of the spiritualism movement of the last half of the 19th century. Uh, Most of her work was done as a trance lecturer, and she wrote books and she attributed them to the spirit guides rather than her her popularity. Hatch was one of her four husbands and she kept his name because he promoted her and made her very popular. Um, This is also attributed, Jeff, to the 1852 Sailor's Prayer Book, but the Sailor's Prayer Book actually said, if trimming the sails doesn't help a sailor in the storm, ask for help from a higher power. So they were saying, ah, trimming the sales button. And again, in in 1987, fast forward 135 years, country singer Jimmy Dean was credited with saying just about the same thing. So long story, Jeff Giles, welcome. You cannot change the wind, but you can adjust the sails. Whoever said it, welcome and tell me how this relates to our topic today. Jeff?
3: Thank you, thank you. Yes, I can't comment too much on the spirituality part of it (laughs) or on the Jimmy Dean breakfast sausage part of it, but let me tell you that I'm an avid sailor, and I have been out there sailing for quite a few years, and um, often when you're out sailing, the place you want to go to is where the wind is actually coming from, and in a sailboat, you can't sail directly towards it. So in your opening, you talked about this idea that uh, you you need to be flexible, and things are always changing. And this is true with enterprise architecture because, you know, even the best laid plans, uh, they don't always work out the way you want. So you have to have contingency plans or ways to work around it or through it or something like that. So, you know, I find this quite uh, useful in enterprise architecture because quite often with all the complexity, the intermoving parts, you know, the processes, the people, the systems, you know you can lay it out, but as you move towards your goal, you might have to move sideways for a little bit. And then when the wind stops blowing, then you can move towards that goal. So that's kind of what how I see it relating to enterprise architecture.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thoughtful. And I hope I didn't overdo the explanation, but I was fascinated by the quote because it's imagine somebody said it in trance, and it actually is a real a real something question for you. Oh, yes. Is there such a thing as going to school to become an enterprise architect? I know architecture is usually something where you're drawing buildings or structures or plans for uh, something big, and we think of it in terms of a concrete something, a building, a place, a thing. And now we're talking about enterprise architecture. Is there such a thing as a degree in enterprise architecture, Jeff? I
3: wish there were, but there is not, and like your opening statement that came from the uh, person in the telecom, there's so many multidisciplinary things that you need to know, it's really difficult to probably build a course around something like that.
1: Interesting. We'll be getting into that more, and that's why I like the quote, and I'll go around the table and ask the other gentleman as well. I like the quote because it talked about the diversity of skills needed and the renaissance men and women of IT. So yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later. Thank you so much, Jeff Giles, and now Matt Creason is waiting patiently. Matt, I said on a show last week to one of my guests, I know Bob is waiting patiently, and he said, how do you know I'm being patient? <laughs> it was like... Okay, Bob, I don't know whether you are or not. I can't see you, but thank you for waiting. So, Matt Creason has selected a quote from one of our favorites, Walt Disney. And I don't know if people know, Disney holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by an individual. He won 22 Oscars from 59 nominations. He was, let's see, 1901 to 1966, an American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor, and film producer, of course. He was credited with developing the character of Mickey Mouse in 1901. 1928, his first highly popular success. He provided the voice for Mickey Mouse in the early years. Famous movies include Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs back in 1937. Can't believe it. Pinocchio, Fantasia, both in 1940. Dumbo, 41. The Flying Elephant. I remember where I saw that the first time. Bambi, 1942. No, it wasn't in 1941. I wasn't alive then. Uh, New and animated live-action films after World War II included Cinderella and Mary Poppins, the latter uh, received five Academy Awards. Here is the quote. Times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future. Matt Creason, how are you today?
4: Doing great. Thank you, Bonnie.
1: Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this interesting Disney quote. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure it actually came from Walt Disney. It sounds so serious for somebody who created Mickey Mouse and the whole crew of, of, of mice people and did, and did wonders for the animation film industry. So tell me how this quote relates to our topic today.
4: Well, if you first, I didn't know that Walt Disney had won that many, uh, that many awards, but yeah, but if you look at what the work Walt Disney did. And you look at the pictures that you see Walt Disney in many times. Every time you see those pictures, what does he have a picture of sitting in front of him or around him? Usually, it's some form of architecture, whether it's the layout of Disneyland, whether it's the layout of Disney World or Epcot. He always have a he always has a picture for the future, um, and that's really what I believe enterprise architecture is about. It's really that picture for the future. Yes, does it describe today? It does, but it can also continually describe where we want to go. Um, And that's really what we need because we need a plan that gets buy-in from everybody. It's not just an IT process. It's not just a business thing. Mm -hmm. It's a combination because typically today businesses can't run with IT, and we need to close that gap. So just like Walt put together – You know, when you go to Walt Disney, you don't see where where the staff or the cast go. Because why? Because he had that integrated from the day one because he knew what his business goals were and therefore designed an infrastructure to support that. And that's the same thing we need to do with our businesses today as we continue to transform is to have that concept of where we want to go and why we want to go there, but also understand that we have to integrate that infrastructure, that technology to actively support it and drive it.
1: Thank you. Did you, Matt, do you agree that you wish, like Jeff Giles said, he wishes there was a place to get a degree in enterprise architecture? Is there such a thing, or how how does somebody become that renaissance person in IT or whatever part of the business they're setting? What's your thought?
4: So, I I totally agree with your quote that it's a renaissance concept, because, um, there are very few universities around the world that actually have a program, and most of our programs, um, there are a few that actually have degrees, but there's very far and few between in enterprise architecture. So typically when I'm asked that question, how do I find an enterprise architect? I, I kind of go to mm-hmm. your same quote. It, it's somebody who's gotten a little bit of a renaissance, a little bit of touch of everything. And the first thing I say about an enterprise architect is they have to be a communicator. Um, if they uh-huh. can't communicate, it's going to be very hard for them to do their job. <laughs> and typically I say, find somebody with a sociology background because they know how to talk to different people from different walks of life, and they understand where they're coming from. They can take that, that knowledge they gained in, in school. But they also need to have an IT background, and they also need to have a little bit of a business background, so they understand the why, the what, and then how to communicate that information. And that, that's the challenge we have in today's market is is enterprise architects um, come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, and we're all trying to achieve the same goal of helping customers. Our, our partners within our business or within the market to understand how to get to the future and make that plan for communication.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. Very thoughtful answer. Uh, interesting. We did a show yesterday on one of my other Game Changers series, and I think it was our flagship, Coffee Break with Game Changers. I do a lot of shows each week, and after a while, they just blend in. It's just Game Changers Radio. And the title was Business Analyst by Day, Data Science Hero by Night. Think of somebody grabbing that cape and maybe the goggles like Superman used to change in the phone booth or wherever and coming out and saying, yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking of the, the relationship we were trying to figure out, who could could become a data science hero. We talk about the citizen. Data scientists today with all of the tools, all of the analytic prepackaged software. You can take somebody. We, we talked about curiosity. We talked about agility. We talked about a zest for problem solving. We talked about excitement about looking at data, big data, oceans and lakes and streams of it and coming up with a hypothesis and pulling data out and coming up with something that would answer a problem or maybe pose another problem. So that was interesting. So my question to you. And Rogan, you're next. I'm going to go around the table and ask everybody this. Do you think just putting on a cape, somebody who who has all of the things you just mentioned, Matt, and, and Jeff mentioned also, do you think putting on that cape, they can become an enterprise architect just like that? Is it something that you can take on once you're in a different role, or is it something that you have to be specifically niche trained for? Matt, you first.
4: I would agree. I think I think it is a cape a cape situation. Um, I don't think you specifically have to be trained for it. I think you have to have a passion um, to drive innovation. I think you have to have a passion to communicate with others, um, and then the ability to structure your thoughts to communicate not just to your knowledge base, but across different paradigms and, 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 and domains. And I think that's really why I believe it's a cape thing. So. Um, I've seen many people step up to the plate that weren't formally trained, um, but because they have the passion and they can communicate and they can provide empathy as they communicate across these groups um, within an organization, they strive and they do very well as an enterprise architect.
1: Thank you very much. We're building a job profile here. Excuse me, Rogan Morrison at Olayan Financing Company. Love to have you join us. What do you think about who should be or not be in the training, the qualifications, let's say the personality traits and the cape? Rogan, what's your thought?
2: I think it's a combination of uh, both uh, some formalized training, but also, as I agree with Matt, there's a lot of passion that you need to bring as uh, similar to what your quote says renaissance men and women they were artists artisans and they had a passion for a specific uh, area whether it was in sculpture or in art that created visibility and uh, that's the kind of thing that you need for an enterprise architect somebody who's going to both wear the passion their heart on the sleeve type uh, person as well as have a bit of the formalized background whether it's in uh, in the sciences and in the social sciences space to be able to communicate really effectively. And I think that is, as Matt really hit the nail on the head, communication is so critical to understand requirements and be able to translate those requirements into the, the building blocks that make up the plans. Very interesting,
1: very interesting. Jeff Giles, love to get your thoughts on this. We're going full circle on this one. What do you think? Who makes a good enterprise architect, and what about the CAPE?
3: Well, I've uh, worked with lots of different people in my consulting practice around enterprise architecture, and I find that the people that play the role of business analysts are actually pretty well suited to becoming enterprise architects, because Ah. in their regular role, that is the project-based role they're doing is they're translating requirements that come from the business into technology for IT. So they actually have a foot in each side of the spectrum, business side and the IT side. So if anybody has got, let's say, a leg up on it, I would say the business analyst would be that role that that does, because mostly the, the business people are very good at understanding their business and how their business works, but they don't know much about IT. IT is great at explaining how this system works and that system works and the databases and all those other components, but they can't quite translate that into business. So that's where I think the BA is ideally suited uh, for this particular role.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, gentlemen, for indulging my sidebar. I thought that was interesting. We, we didn't actually plan on that, but I thought, given the quote I found from Anna Mar it might be a good way to pick your brains and see. Uh, you know, we toss out things like enterprise architecture, but we don't say who and what and how. And it's nice to know what, who would be good in that role or who is good in that role and, and what makes a business tick. So on that note, let's get a little more up close and personal with my three panelists. Rogan Morrison, you're up first. Rogan, I have three questions for you. And sometimes panelists forget the third question by the time they're finished with the first and second. So ask me if you want me to repeat them. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite beverage? And we are getting ready for holiday season soon. So if you want to make it a holiday beverage, that's fine. And number three, Three. What do you do and what does Olean Financing do? Rogan Morrison, you're up. Please go.
2: Okay, so I'm sitting in uh, Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and uh, I would uh, really like to have a, what's called a basho de limone, which is a delicious. Uh, zesty uh wine fine with a bit of lemon lim- and some crushed ice and sweet blackberries or raspberries or currants and that's all mixed up into a cocktail glass so it's very refreshing because it tends to be pretty dry and uh, dusty here uh, out in the desert. And uh your third question, uh, I'm going to come back what to What do it. you do? Yes. <laughs> no, <I don't laughs> Go agree. ahead. Elaine as an organization is a multi-diverse uh, organization that runs num- numerous operating companies and organizations as well as real estate and finance investments uh, across the Middle East as well as into Europe and into America.
1: Thank you very much. Can you spell that drink for me? I love to look those up, and I'm not able to figure out. What did you say it was now?
2: It's Baccio del limone. So it's B-A-C-I-O, D-E-L, and then L-I-M-O-N-E. It's an Italian drink. Let me see if I can
1: find it here. This is Cocktail. Let me see if I can find it here. I haven't found it yet, but I'm probably going to make that my life's work today to figure it out. Zampacho Delamoni. All right. I'm going to figure it out. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Oh, here we are. I think I think I found it. Okay. I will read something on it later. Thank you very much, Rogan. Pleasure to get to know you. Jeff Giles, who pronounces his name as though it has a J instead of a G. How dare you? And Sandhill Consultants. (laughs) Same three questions. It's it's. Confound the host. I've had names that were 14 to 18 to 22 letters, and it was easier to pronounce than that. I'm teasing you, Jeff. Welcome. Jeff, please tell us where you are today, what you love to drink, and you could spell it for me, too. And what do you do at Sandhill Consultants, and what is Sandhill Consultants? Go ahead, Jeff Giles. All righty. Um,
3: I'm outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States, probably about 25 miles outside of Boston. Um currently have a large styrofoam cup full of black coffee. Unfortunately it's not exotic, but whenever I go through the drive thru they always get it right.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. Never heard that before. Okay. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs>
3: very, very good. <laughs> and about Sandhill Consultants, uh I'm a uh, obviously a consultant. I work uh, in primarily the uh, enterprise architecture, data modeling, business process, things that have to do with metadata, even tooling. Um, so I kind of am that renaissance guy that has his uh, fingers in all different places. Um, so that's primarily what we do is we go in and we consult on um, enterprise architecture, enterprise architecture-related things, as well as governance.
1: Thank you very much. Very very interesting. And by the way, Rogan, I think I found the drink. Is it Baci di Limone? And it's a uh, it's a spirit, right? It's a lemon flavored liqueur, lemon lemoncello. Is that That's the right it. one?
2: Mm hmm.
1: I found it's it. Okay. Baci, B-A-C-I-D-I-D-I, Limone, L-I-M-O-N-E, known as Limoncello Liqueur, and they have special glasses for it as well. They have recipes for it as well, and you can look it up at internetwines.com and find it, and it's beautiful. Thank you very much. And uh, let's go around the table. Matt Creason, you know, I'm coming to you next. Matt, where are you today? What do you love to drink? Is it easy on the drive-thru, and does it look pretty in a glass? We've never asked that before. And what is is your role at SAP, Matt?
4: Thanks, Bonnie. So um, I'm I'm from Dow- I'm, Today I'm in Dallas, Texas, in the United States, um, in the great state of Texas. And with that, one of my favorite drinks that I drink from almost every day is tea. Um, but it's not just any tea; it's uh, Arizona Arnold Palmer Zero Tea. So um, because I live in Texas and it's commonly very hot. Um, I do like my iced tea, uh, but I do try to cut back on the sugar a little bit, so that's why I drink the zero version of it. So um, I, have it. I have it. I have
1: it here. DrinkArizona.com, and it's called Arnold Palmer Zero. I've never heard of that, Z-E-R-O. You can also make it with a half and half with iced tea lemonade, I think. Looks like there's something like that, half iced tea, half lemonade. Uh, you can get that at Target. We've heard of an Arnold Palmer, which is a version of a drink named after somebody else. I can't remember whether the Arnold Palmer one does or doesn't have liquor in it. Do you remember doesn't have alcohol in it. I know there's if, something if you called it.
4: Uh, typically, like at a golf course, if you order, it's usually just tea, half tea, half lemonade, um, and some of them spike it with a little uh, whiskey. I think sometimes, but because uh, it blends with the tea color. But uh,
1: there you go, Arnold Palmer cocktail. The Arnold Palmer but is a non-alcoholic that's a combination. Way. That's it. Made popular by Arnold Palmer. Oh, here's what: if you add vodka, do you know what it's called? If you add vodka Matt? No, I don't. It's called a John Daly. D-A-L-Y. John Daly. That's his version of the drink. So you add a little bit of vodka and you take an Arnold Palmer and you go right across the golf course to a John Daly. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Thank you very much. You didn't know you were calling into what uh, drinks are us. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's yeah, been a the long week. That's the goal. Matt Creason, what do you do? I'm looking here at your bio, and it looks like you're a product manager for Enterprise Architecture Tooling at SAP. What is EA Tooling? Never heard that before.
4: So um, Enterprise Architecture Tooling is the applications that uh, people like Rogan and Jeff would use on their daily job. So it allows them to construct those plans and those designs, uh, bring them together across those different domains. And then understand how they relate to each other, and understand the impact as they make changes and innovate. Where changes have to be made? Is it an impact to a business? Is it an impact to an IT? Does it impact both? What's missing? What's not missing? So it gives them the ability to visualize that um, versus just having it being written down in list or you know rows of a, of a spreadsheet or something like this. Because again, most of our organizations aren't are very complex. And so that's what I do on a daily basis is try to provide and look towards providing solutions for people like Jeff and Rogan. Thank you
1: very much. And just to make this a full roundtable, I am in Durham, North Carolina. This is our fourth day of gloomy, gloomy, gloomy weather. It is 41 degrees Fahrenheit here. That's not what I expected when I moved to the south a year and a half ago. I am not allowed to have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and I think the three of you know why. So I have my usual cool, clear glass of cool, clear water, and I have a pink straw because I am craving a little sunshine here, and it has just been really, really dismal. It is pouring rain right now uh we we uh, anybody know what a hose bib is Matt, have you ever heard of a hose bib
4: or jeff i've heard of a hose bib yeah yeah my I have my not. Th-
1: my neighbor bought them for me. I think she got them probably at uh, I don't know where, uh, one of the Walmart probably. It's a little plastic cover. It's like a, a almost like a cube with one side missing and there's a little pulley inside and you put it over the hose outlet on the outside of your house and it helps to insulate that that opening where the water comes out of the house. You go in the garage and turn off the hose bib outlet. In other words, there's a there's a bar you turn down to shut off the water that goes to the outside hose outlets and And then you drain the hose, the physical hose. Mine has oxidized into the the connection so it can't be taken off right now. Need needs some heavy-duty penetrating oil. And when you take it off, you you bleed the hose. You take the water out so it doesn't freeze. And then you attach this hose cover, this bib, to the opening on the side of the house to cover the opening where the water comes out of. And it helps to insulate it against freezing during the winter. So this is my first year of understanding what a hose bib was in New York. We didn't do anything like that. At least I was in an apartment, so we didn't have to do that. Somebody probably did it. So I'm drinking water here in Durham, North Carolina. Happy to be speaking to our three very special guests, Rogan Morrison at Olayan Financing Company, Jeff Giles, that's G-I-L-E-S at Sandhill Consultants, and Matt Creason at SAP. We're going to take a very, very quick break, give my three guests a chance to take a sip of something. I'm not sure about that Bocce de Limon, uh, Rogan. We might have to wait a little bit for that one. And when we come back, Rogan Morrison is going to start the roundtable. We've been having one, but we're going to dive into some of the topics my guest sent me before the show so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial i promise we'll be right back aaron out
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated, ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com, and you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, Let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Yes,
1: indeed. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers. And we're looking at something called enterprise architecture, but we have taken it back to who the people are who make good enterprise architects. My three very savvy and articulate panelists today are Rogan Morrison at Olay & Financing Company, Jeff Giles at Sandhill Consultants, and Matt Creason at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're looking at some notes here Rogan sent me before the show and here's where we're going to start the formal roundtable portion of our program. He says, digital transformation projects are more likely to be successful and generate value if they're aligned with a medium- to long-term architectural approach. Rogan, please expand this for us. Tell us more.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Bonnie. Mm -hmm. Um, As I said in the... the Information there that uh, digital transformation projects and their success and value is really tied to how the organization has defined what they want to achieve in the medium to long-term uh, approach and, and the roadmap that they're actually trying to follow. And so the value that they want to derive needs to be planned into the architecture and then it needs to be identified during the actual transformation program in order for it to actually finally be realized after that transformation has taken place. So there are actually three steps that you should take uh, into account when you're doing a digital transformation program and aligning it to the architectural approach that you have. First of all, you need to plan in your value into the architecture, then identify it, and then you can actually realize it. So the, the importance of it is that if you don't do those three steps, you actually don't realize the value. And uh, that value is also only often really achieved a year or so after the transformation has been fully adopted across the business. So you won't see the value in maybe the first six months or, or seven months of the program once it's been actually completed. But it only takes place afterwards. But it's the way in which you design into the architecture the value that uh, really, really realizes what you've you've gone gone out to get it and achieve.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. Let's go around the table. Jeff Giles at Sandhill Consultants. Agree or disagree?
3: I agree. I mean, if you look at enterprise architecture, it's a primarily a planning discipline, right? It's figuring out, here's where we are, here's where we want to be. And as we're driving towards that, where we want to be, um, the plans, uh, you know, they, they are, let's say, they transform to the different contexts, right? So on the business side, they want to understand, well, how does this value affect how I do my business? On the IT side, they're looking at this value. And what systems, applications, programs do we have that will actually support this? And um, when, you, when you generally, I find when you approach these things is to um, execute it in small little chunks rather mm-hmm. than to try to do the big <clears throat> monster plan and try to drive the big monster plan because inevitably it's kind of like the boil the ocean approach where there's too much going on uh, at, at the same time and people begin to get a little uh, frustrated. So I agree. I just would take my plans in small little chunks and implement them in uh, in little short pieces. And, and how short a piece would that be, Jeff? Are
1: you talking about six months, two years? Well, what's, a, it talks, what's short?
3: Uh, well, it that's 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 a good question because it all depends on mm-hmm. what you're trying to execute, right? There are um, what we call low-hanging fruit things yes. where you could say, you know what, we don't have a proper business glossary. We don't know the definitions of these things. Why don't we just start defining some stuff, all right? That's a simple, short-term, low-hanging fruit approach to something. And then you could be looking at some big, big digital transformation where you say, okay, uh, we're going to, you know, go from complete paper-based uh, operation to all digital. And, you know, that might take years to get to. Um, but uh, obviously you do them in little bits at a time, little parts, little, let's say, areas of the organization at a time, and you, uh, you, you push it through in a, in a slow, methodical fashion. That sort of helps it stick long-term. Um, as, as we mentioned before, for a long term, um, it's always better to go slow and steady.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. Slow and steady. Matt Creason, join us, please. Thoughts?
4: So I, I sort of agree. I agree with Rogan. Um, and when, when Jeff, Jeff, I think, talks about splitting these things up into small che- chunks, um, I would agree as, as well. But I, I think we need to add a little bit more color to that. And what I mean by that is... It's not a single project or single program. When we talk about enterprise architecture, your company doesn't just have one moving part. I mean, um, you know, if I look internally to to my company, we don't don't have just one initiative that we're working towards. And so from an enterprise architecture perspective, when I think about what Jeff is saying, there are multiple individual pieces that are happening um, governed by multiple architects, but they all have the same common goal together to start to stitch things as they, as they pull one piece together and another piece together through these small um, slivers, as I like to call them. Then we start mm-hmm. stitching them together, and as we stitch them together, it's like building a ship. You know, when you build a ship, you build it in chunks, and then you start stitching the, 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 the structures together, and then tying the plumbing and so on and so in and, and, and that concept. And enterprise architecture is no different than that in our physical world. It's just more of a digital space. And so that's where I kind of disagree or like to add a little bit more color than what Jeff says. But I also agree with Rogan that it needs to be integrated from the beginning. Um, Otherwise, it's an afterthought.
1: Very interesting. Who wants to, anybody want to come back at what Matt just said? I I wouldn't call it a rebuttal, but Jeff, anything you want to come back to it with?
3: Uh, I think Matt and I are speaking the same thing. he's, He's talking about components and modules that would, Snap together. Now, the snapping together part means that you have to have the plan that says one end of the object has to uh, fit into the other end, just like a puzzle piece does. And if you don't plan for that and you don't uh, accommodate that, then things aren't going to snap together in a modular fashion. So I think we're talking the same thing. Um, and he's correct when you say that there's multiple things going on at the same time, and enterprise architecture is definitely a program and it's not a project. I mean, I wish I could go out to the store and say, I'd like to buy myself some enterprise architecture, and then just say, oh, we're good, we're done. But that's not really the way that it works. It's very customized kind of a thing, and it's specific to different organizations and how they see themselves in the marketplace.
1: Thank you very much. Anybody else? Rogan, you want to come back with anything on that before I move? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I I just want to add in there. I think um, enterprise architecture, what what we've been saying is uh, in the context of the the delivery of enterprise architecture is important. But I think we must not lose focus on the digital transformation, and especially what executives are looking for is, in many cases, large digital transformation, they really want to take um, large portions of their business and actually transform them and change what they're doing to be more market-related, to be engaging with their their customers to create a sense of ease. Um, And as they create that sense of ease using intelligent enterprise, IoT, and any other things, um, they they actually put out really big plans. And sometimes that's why I say that it's quite uh, important that we... We don't lose sight of that because, uh, I think it goes back to my quote, you know, you don't want to dream small. You mm-hmm. don't want to have just a small section on there. You want to really be big. And that's what a lot of executives go for. They want to see, you know, see big transformation uh, initiatives taking place across many organizations. And sometimes they tie all of these together.
1: Thank you very much. Interesting discussion. I want to move on to something, a different shade of this. Jeff Giles, I'm looking at your notes. Let's talk about data. You say data must not be an afterthought in enterprise architecture. Data is central to understanding three things, the work that has to be done, how the work gets done and who or what must do the work. And I'm so intrigued that you said who or what, and I'm wondering if you're talking about robots, artificial intelligence, machine learning in the what. So, Jeff Giles, why don't you expand this for us and then we'll see what the other panelists have to say. Jeff?
3: Sure. Um, when I first started out working with enterprise architecture, it was primarily process driven. That is, you know, what work do we have to do? And that's usually what. Drove it. But I'm finding now that uh, when we start talking about things like infonomics and monetizing of data, that it's sort of started shifting towards the data side of things. And um, one of the things about the data is that people don't necessarily understand data well enough. Because data, you know, if we take things like definitions of what something means, you could put five people in a room, you could give them a term, and each one might have a different meaning for what that term means in the context of how they go to to business. So understanding the data part is really important because when you have a process, generally you have data that makes it work. And Mm -hmm. the who or what part of it is correct. I mean, it could be a human being but it also might be a machine, and that machine might be a software machine or could be a hardware machine. But essentially, at the end of the day, it's all work. So work gets done by you know people or processes, but data is central to all of it because when we're talking about the Internet of Things and we're talking about how enterprise architecture, digital transformation is today, it's a lot about how we move data back and forth and around the enterprise. That's of critical importance to how it's going to function.
1: Thank you. Very interesting, Matt Creason. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Where's data in your your view of enterprise architecture?
4: Well, I mean, data is king. You know, we we you know you you've, you've probably said it, Bonnie, but you've probably heard mm-hmm. it. But data is the new oil, right? When people when companies buy other companies, they're buying they're buying data. Uh, in one form or another, that seems to be the commodity of choice. Um, When we talk about data scientists, data is the commodity of choice. When we look at what customers are doing during their digital transformation, typically they're trying to utilize data to provide a new business service or a new business capability to outpace their competition. So I I don't disagree with Jeff that data is key in enterprise architecture um, because without that, we really don't know – we, you know, we'll know what the why is from the business side, but we really don't know the what. Um, and at the same time, if we can't tie the what together with the why, many times we don't know how to make that happen. And so, again, I, I don't disagree with Jeff, um, but, again, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I, it just data is very important.
1: And I'm going to add a, a little note here. Uh, I, on Yesterday on one of my Game Changer shows, my opening quote was from David McCandless, who had a different version of what data is, Matt. He says, data is not the new oil. It's the new soil. Get in and get your hands dirty. What do you think? Agree or disagree with David McCandless, London-based author?
4: You know, I, I totally agree. You know, having having done a little farming in my, my background, i um, I, I agree. It's the things that things grow from. So soil would be even a better a better analogy. I think.
1: Thank you. Just thought I'd bring that in. As soon as you said it, it and You said, Bonnie, you probably said this, and I actually did just yesterday afternoon on another show. Let's go around the table. Continue. Rogan Morrison, agree? Or disagree? We have got some interesting concepts on the table here. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I think data is definitely in many cases uh, in the EA world uh, vastly important. And I agree with uh, what uh, Jeff said in terms of it is often an afterthought. And I think the reason for that is because of its visibility and the executives not looking at necessarily the detail behind what the data is. And they, they want to see it at a higher level. And so they, they miss the, the value of it significantly when they're starting in their digital transformation And my analogy for data is it's like the blood flowing through a a human body in the organization. And if you're not having a good, clean set of data, you're not getting the relevant information to the right parts of the body. And that is central to making sure that the organization functions as effectively as it should. So data is is really critical. But uh, again, as I said, because of its lack in visibility, it's difficult to see blood. You know it exists you know it does a certain thing and it gets work done but because you don't see every, it working every day you try tend to overlook it and that's, that's the real problem with data so I think there's a, you have to find a way to expose data in, in, a, in a meaningful way to executives to make them aware of how valuable it is in the enterprise architecture space and in that way drive better digital transformations
1: Thank you very much. Jeff Giles, you want to add anything to this before I pick up one more quick topic from Matt's list? Jeff? Um,
3: Yeah, I I agree with uh, what you said, Bonnie, as far as the quote of of oil versus soil. Because Mm -hmm. when you think about data, it's not something that you use and then dispose of. It is actually renewable, right? So when you think about it from the, the soil context, that's absolutely right. I like to tell people it's the new solar panel, uh, in that, ah. uh, you know, as long as the sun shines, you can renew that data because you can use data again and again and again and again. So people like to say, "Oh, data." Well, that's a, that's a business asset. Data is an asset. I say it's not actually an asset as much as it's a resource. It's a resource mm-hmm. that you can use again and again and again. Thank you. I
1: think that was the point. And also, you think of soil as you put a seed in and it grows. Get your hands dirty, get in there. And I also heard somebody say that... um I had a guest on a couple months ago talking about data as the new oil, and they said that oil, typically you think of something that you pour, it, you use it, and then you discard it. That's why I think people are trying to look past the oil. It's a very powerful resource. It's a very driving concept, but it, it, data actually keeps on being data. So yes, it, it keeps on giving and keeps on growing. Thank you. Matt Creason, I have one statement here from you I'd like to pull in just before we go to our predictions round, and Rogan Morrison, you can get ready with your prediction, because I'm just going to have a little discussion with Matt here, and then we're going to move quickly around the table. We'll do a 60-second prediction from each of you on the future of enterprise architecture. But Matt, here's something you said that was interesting. You said, architecture and design used to be something that was only done when something new is being introduced in a business. But at today's pace, Companies are using business blueprints, and I love that reference back to architecture and blueprints, to find new points of inflection to drive differentiation in their market. Just a quick comment from you, Matt. Can you relate this for us, please? Expand it a little.
4: Sure. I mean, you know, if we think back to the days when we started getting text messages, right, um, somebody, and I can't say who, realized mm-hmm. that they had information, so they had the bank had information of the customer, they had their cell phone number, and oh by gosh, they also had their balance. And mm-hmm. so they provided a market differentiation that allowed an end user at any given time to self-service without having to go into a bank, or back then even the internet was still not as fast as it is today. You know, log in and the UIs weren't as good as they are today, but they could literally text a message using an SMS code and get their account balance. And those are things that, inter- that archi- enterprise architecture allows you to do. It allows you to say, oh, I do have this data, and I do have this data. What can I do with this that no one else can? And that's exactly what I mean. You find those inflection points. You know, we-, we see it today in the marketing and the CRM space of how to close that loop from the time someone says, clicks on an ad, or goes to a website, and we make that churn, and then we turn it into an opportunity, and we close it. Being able to close that loop and, and make it an experience versus just a single one-point purchase so that they keep coming back. We're seeing these blueprints take more and more activity in finding those inflection points, just like you would in your house blueprint when you find that extra space, you say, why can't I put a closet there? Right? Same concept. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you very much. I like that. Yes, in my case, it was a spare bedroom. And I said, why can't I make that into a music room? So I put my drum set in there. Nobody's going to come and stay with me anyway. So (laughs) why why not? That's what closets become when you have too many of them. Thank you very much. Rogan Morrison, I know you're ready for our predictions round. I can give you each just exactly 60 seconds getting tight on time here. So Mr. Morrison at Olayan Financing Company, 60 seconds. Put on your crystal ball thinking cap and tell me what will change dramatically, dynamically, differentiatedly, anything you want in terms of enterprise architecture, let's say between 2020 and 2025. Rogan, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I definitely think enterprise architecture will become a, a kind of fundamental stream within all digital transformations and Internet of Things thinking. And it will certainly be utilised not only across business analysts, program, and project managers, but across executives. And I think that they will start to pick up on the the importance of architecture and how it can really create benefits and value for the organisation. Thank you very much.
1: Brief and to the point. Appreciated, Mr. Jeffrey Giles at Sandhill Consultants. I have sixty
3: seconds for you. Go ahead. All right. I'm not great at predictions, but what I see happening more and more is that there's this drive towards standardization and governance around your enterprise architectures. Um, When two companies decide to merge or one company buys another company, the big task is trying to understand, you know, what assets do they have? What assets do we have? How do we sort of merge these things together? And everybody calls things different things. So what I see happening is... Sort of a language uh, that standardizes enterprise architecture and the enterprise architecture objects and concepts, and then that will become uh, more and more prevalent as we go because it'll be easier to govern and manage. And thank you very. Yeah,
1: thank you. That was a good one, Matt Creason. You're up. 60 seconds. Go ahead.
4: So, I, I look out. You know, being a product manager, I always have a timeline, but. I look around that year of 2020, um, and I think the the topic of enterprise architecture be relevant. But you also have to understand it's a very it's a very young, confined discipline. Now we've been doing enterprise mm-hmm. architecture for a long time, um, yes. And we used to do it more than we do it today. But the coining of the term enterprise architecture is still fairly young, and so I think the terminology will change of what we may call it. Um, Hopefully not, but I think there could be a change in that. But at the end of the day, what I think will still be relevant is that I see enterprise architecture becoming just as you know, just as relevant in the business and through, to help drive business transforma- transformation as well as compliancy. But I also see it being ubiquitous as the GPS is in our cars. Um, it's going to allow you to navigate your organization just like GPS allows you to navigate the roads of whatever country you're in regardless of the country you're in. And I think we'll see enterprise architecture do the same for our businesses. Allow them to see a strategy of how we're going to high level, get from point A to point B, but at the same time, give them the details of turn by turn, regardless of your domain. And so that's what I see happening uh, in that 2020 time frame. It's going to become more ubiquitous as a high level all the way down to the detail, which today a lot of companies only do it at a high level, and we're starting to see that change, and I think it will become more prominent in, uh, in a few years.
1: Thank you very much. Great predictions from the three of you. I want to thank my very special guests and I'm going to do my call to action. But first, I'd like to thank Rue Jha and Ira Burke at SAP. Ira sponsors the series and Rue helped put together this panel and she is wonderful. And Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action with a thank you built in. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Rogan Morrison at Olayan Financing Company, just like Jeff Giles at Sandhill Consultants, and just like Matt Creason at SAP. Have a great day. And if you don't hear from us, next week is U.S. Thanksgiving. So we'll be taking the week off from live shows. We'll run some interesting replays. Happy, healthy, and I hope yours is gratitude filled. Mine certainly is. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.